Welcome to Mechanicsville Baptist Church. Welcome to the worship service this morning. Good to see everybody. If you are a guest this morning, we especially want to welcome you to our worship service at 11 o'clock at Mechanicsville Baptist Church. Thank you so much for being here. And if you would be uh, willing to fill out a little bit of the tear sheet and put that in the offering a little bit later, that would help us get to know you a little bit better and have a record of your attendance and see how we can maybe minister to you. Um, let's go over the uh, few opportunities of the week that we need to highlight. Uh, Monday evening at 6 o'clock, there will be a youth council meeting. On Tuesday evening at 7 o'clock, we will have our church council meeting, and that is for those people that are chair people of a team. So please be here Tuesday night at 7 o'clock for that. Um, we have our normal Wednesday night activities this Wednesday evening. And on Thursday evening, we have two teams that are meeting. At 6 o'clock, the personnel team will be meeting. And at 6.30, the nominating team will be meeting. So be aware of that. And um, I want to bring uh, one other announcement. Um, in your bulletin is a uh, leaflet for the blood drive. And that will be held Wednesday, May the 4th, from 2 p.m. to 7 p.m. in the small dining room. Uh, we do need volunteers to help with that, so if you would uh, be willing to volunteer, please let the church office know, or you can let Amy know as her uh, contact information is in the uh, notice in the bulletin, okay? And at this time, we'll call on Judy Culver to give us an announcement about the Women's Conference. Good morning. Next weekend... Our church is offering a women's conference to all women of the church, ages 18 and older. It's been a long time since we've had one of these conferences. The subject matter for the conference is called What's in Your Heart? And it'll be a focused time of fellowship, worship, and Bible study uh, for all women of the church. Um, fr Friday night, beginning at 6 o'clock to 9.30, and then again Saturday morning, beginning at 8 o'clock to 2.00. And we'll have a snack supper Friday night, and we'll provide breakfast on Saturday morning and also lunch. If you're interested, please contact me as soon as possible. I need to give our guest speaker a head count by tomorrow afternoon. So my contact information is in the touch tone, and there'll be pink flyers right outside in the foyer. I hope a lot of you will take advantage of this wonderful opportunity. Thank you.
Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you to give you honor and praise. You are worthy of praise. You are the source of all that is good. You are the source of all of our blessings. Thank you for every gift that we have been given. We thank you for the opportunity to come and worship together this day. We ask for your hand of blessing on this service. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'd ask you to take your hymnal, please, and turn to hymn number 426. Let's stand and sing with joy this morning, Victory in Jesus.
keep your hymnal in hand, if you would, and turn to responsive reading, Majesty and Power, number 670, in the back of your hymnal. We will read responsibly. O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. As we continue worshiping through singing, I'd ask you to turn to hymn number 564. We're going to stand together and sing, Make Me a Channel of Blessing. Let that be our prayer this morning.
good all the time let us pray gracious and everlasting god we come before you this morning to lift your name on high for you and only you are worthy almighty king father we ask that you build a hedge of protection around our missionaries and our military all around the world that they may be enabled to accomplish their task at hand father god we bring before you our tithing offerings now we ask and pray, Father, that they be used for your glory and realizing, Father, that all that we have and all that we are is from you. Grant us wisdom in the use of these tithes and offerings and may the good news of Jesus Christ be proclaimed through all the land. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.
Shall we pray? Gracious Lord, as we come into your presence on this day, we are thankful for our time together. For we come to this place, Father, to worship you, to study your word, to sing praises to your name, and to leave Father saying it has been good to have been in the house of the Lord. Thank you for the fellowship that is Mechanicsville Baptist Church, for the times that we can spend together, for the work that we can do in the name of Jesus in this church, throughout this community, and even around the world. We're grateful, Father, that you give us a story to tell, a story of love, a story of salvation, a story of a gift that comes to us as we receive you in faith. We pray, Father, that you would bless our work here, the work of the missionaries that we support. We're thankful, Father, that as we share, others can know the love of Christ and the light of the world. We pray, Father, this morning for those of our church family who are suffering with illness, who are recuperating from illness. I pray, Father, that you will be with them and bless them and bring healing to their bodies. We are grateful, Father, that as we pray, we know that you hear our prayers. And you have said that as we pray on behalf of one another, you can respond to those needs. And you do out of the generosity and out of your grace. We're thankful, Father, that as we come to this place on this day, we can be reminded that even in the midst of sorrow, when those of our church family who have passed from us, who have been faithful servants of this place, their families, Father, can take comfort in knowing that they are present with you. And yet the pain still lingers of loss. And so we give them to you and pray that you would minister as only you can minister. We're grateful, Father, for this nation and we pray for our leaders and for the decisions that they make regarding our future. And yet, Father, we know that as we pray for our nation, our future is secure as long as we are with you. Help us, Father, to have faith to depend on you. Increase our faith as the disciples prayed so that we might walk in step with you and know, Father, that you have given us life through Jesus Christ. Bless us, Father, as we open your word, as we listen for a word from you. In the name of Jesus, amen. I need to tell you that Raymond Rays, who is a member of our congregation, is in the hospital. Uh, he's doing fine. Um, at this point, he just had some issues that come along. Ray is 97 years old, and he uh, was a D-Day uh, invader and survivor of D-Day, and um, he's a delight to talk to, and I saw him on Friday, that's when we got word he was in the hospital, he's over here at Memorial Regional, so pray for Ray as he recuperates from his uh, illness. His son and daughter-in-law are in town, they were on their way back to uh, Massachusetts and stopped and found him in a state that they needed to assist him, and so he is uh, in the hospital, and they are still here to be with him when he uh, is released from the hospital. So I wanted to make you aware of Ray.
Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. My chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. My chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. The Lord has promised good to me, His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. My chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy Unending love, amazing grace. My chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns. Unending love, amazing grace. Our scripture reading this morning is found in 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. And we'll be looking at other verses in 1 John as we take a look at the question, can you be sure you are saved? And John makes a case uh, through the inspired word that we can and we can. And we will see that through his word. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. 
and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. Every one of us shares the need for security. Security in this day and time is on the mind, minds of many. Just before coming up here a while ago, my phone came across, a story came across my phone saying that someone had been shot and killed just outside of the Capitol building or near the Capitol building this morning. So security is always an issue and always has been. This fact was captured in the comic form by the late Charles Schultz in his comic Peanuts. Schultz pictured one of the characters, Linus, tenaciously clinging to his security blanket. Wherever he goes or whatever he does, Linus must have his blanket. He feels insecure without it. This may be humorous, but actually all of us have to have our security blankets of one kind or another. No one knows this any better than God. So he inspired the Apostle John to write this letter to meet this very need. Thirty-four times the word no is used in these five chapters. This is an average of almost seven times per chapter. As John moves to the conclusion of his epistle, he seeks to leave with his readers one more reminder that his purpose in writing is a worthy one, and by implication he shares with them his conviction that they are sound in the faith. He writes to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. He assumes that his readers are persons who have faith in the character by which Jesus is known. He is the Son of God, and by this name he is known. Central in his purpose in writing is that these faithful believers shall know eternal life. John's purpose for writing this letter is clearly stated in chapter 5 verse 13. The good news to all is that one can be saved and sure of it. For he says very clearly in that verse how important it is to understand that we can know. He wrote these words so that we can know that we are saved. How can I be saved and sure of it? John offers four answers. First, if we look in 1 John chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, we see that we know that we are saved by the fellowship we have. Our world is often cold, aloof, and openly hostile. There is within every one of us, however, an intense hunger for warm personal fellowship. This is found among those who are bound together by a common love for Jesus Christ. We yearn to be with other people. We may think we don't want to be, and we have alternatives to uh, being with other people, with the media and so forth that we have today, but our yearning is to be with other people. In the prologue, John introduced the fellowship, which is to be the first subject of discussion. He has indicated that the earthly fellowship of believers exists only in their union with God through Jesus Christ. So the fellowship we have as followers of Jesus Christ is the fellowship that comes as a result of being a follower of Jesus Christ. This is why ours is a blessed fellowship. 
the warmth of love, the gracious spirit, the generous attitude, the delight of each other's company, all of these and more characterize the blessed fellowship we have. But he goes a step further. He talks about the source of this fellowship. Look at verse 3 of 1 John chapter 1. (coughs) That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Our fellowship is with the Father. Someone perhaps asked John, how can such a diverse group of men as you apostles possibly have the fellowship you have? You have Simon the Zealot and in contrast to him, Matthew the tax collector. There are also the ambitious James and John and the retiring Andrew. John may have answered, truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We all come with different personalities. We all come with different desires and likes. But the one thing that we hold in common if we are followers of Jesus Christ is the ability to have fellowship with one another because of the commonality of Jesus in our lives. So those people who would say to you that I can be a follower of Christ and not part of a fellowship of believers is not truly a follower of Christ. John makes it very clear to us. He said, if you are in love with Jesus Christ, if you have given your life to Him, you will seek out fellowship with other people. Now that doesn't mean we all have to be alike, but the one thing we hold in common is our relationship with Jesus Christ. And that dictates how we relate to one another. The source of the fellowship, therefore, is God, and the character of God determines the character of the fellowship. These truths account for John's declaration of a great fundamental principle he and his fellow disciples had learned from Jesus. God is light, and in Him is no darkness. We read verse 5, This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. John speaks a lot about light and dark in his gospel as well as in this writing because it gives us an understanding of coming to light in Christ. Once we know as we are known in our sin, we know our need for forgiveness. Our fellowship with the Father necessitates our fellowship with each other. You cannot love the Father without loving the children too. Those who walk in darkness may claim to believe the truth without doing the truth. But there can be no genuine believing apart from practicing or living the truth. Our fellowship with the Father removes any cause of offense. In verse 5, John states, In Him is no darkness at all. Actually, John is saying there is no cause of stumbling, no occasion for offense in the person of Jesus Christ. Therefore, as we walk in the light with Christ, fellowship with others becomes a reality. It is only in darkness that people stumble. So once we come to the light of Christ then we understand the necessity of fellowship with one another. We know what he's saying here, don't we? Dark meant far more to them than it does to us. Because we live in a a world now where there's very little darkness, right? In terms of light and dark. I don't mean sin. I mean light and darkness, the actual light that you see there. Because we turn on lights at night, don't we? And once we learn where we are, sometimes if you're like me through the years... I have turned 
off the lights and had to get up in the night and have stubbed my toe because I was stumbling in the darkness. And John is saying there is no cause for stumbling when the light of Christ is on in your life. There is no excuse for not doing what he calls us to do. Our experience is with Jesus. As we have a saving experience with his son, we become changed people. In the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we become a new creature with old things having passed away and all things becoming new. Then we have the infilling with the Holy Spirit, John 2, 27. At the point of salvation, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us, and if given freedom, He will produce the fruit of the Spirit. All of these products of the Holy Spirit inevitably lead to fellowship both with one another and with our Heavenly Father. If we give ourselves to Christ, our lives will produce fruit. If we are in the darkness... Our lives cannot produce fruit. I remember years ago in biology class, we had this project. I was a sophomore in high school. And the project was to put one plant in the total darkness, one plant in some light, and one plant in uh, full light. Well, the person who was in charge of the plant in darkness forgot all about it because it was in a cabinet. A month or so later, he went and opened the thing. And you know what? He thought he was going to be in big trouble because he'd killed the teacher's plant. There was no light, therefore the the plant couldn't do what it's supposed to do in photosynthesis, and it died. So without light, we die. Without the light of Christ, we are in darkness and we die. But with Christ and the light of His love in our lives, we thrive. The necessity of that fellowship is seen in 1 John Chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. This fellowship makes operative the blood of Jesus Christ. The one factor that a church cannot afford to lose is its fellowship. It can lose its income, its buildings, its social acceptability and dearest and most dedicated members, but it cannot lose its fellowship and remain a New Testament church. It's very clear if, if we look at this verse, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. You see where it is? You see how you can know you are saved? Your sins are cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ and the proof for you is through the fellowship you have with fellow believers. Fellowship is essential to the life of the church. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we are told, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayer. The New Testament chooses to define the church in terms of fellowship, koinonia. In fact, practically all definitions of the church use the word koinonia, a fellowship. Fellowship is essential to the development of the Christian as we see in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. The problem between the two sons in Christ's parable of the prodigal son is a lack of fellowship, if you read it. Both were separated from their father. One was separated from his father by a wall of self-pity and legalistic piety. The fact remains that both had arrested their development until they entered into fellowship with each other and with their loving father. We know that when they were restored, what was restored? Their relationship, their fellowship with one another. 
We cannot be what Christ would call us to be if we're not in fellowship with one another. You've seen the story. I, I've read it years ago, but I saw it on Facebook or somewhere not too long ago about the preacher who visited a member of his congregation who hadn't been in quite some time. And he had a roaring fire going in the fireplace. The preacher walked in, said hello, sat down, and picked up the tongs from the fireplace and pulled out an ember and put it on the hearth and just sat there. The ember went out as it would. He looked at the man and said, we've missed you in church. You see the lesson? If we're not together, we can't be in fellowship with God. People who tell you that they can exist apart from the church and still serve Christ are not walking in the light. No matter how you slice it. It is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but it is worked out in fellowship with one another. It's very clear what John is trying to say to us here. Fellowship is essential to the development of the Christian. Fellowship is essential to converting the world. Paul spoke of our fellowship in the gospel in Philippians 1.3. By this he is referring to our cooperative work together in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. People are attracted to a church by its Christian fellowship. What we do here and the relationships we have make a difference in people's lives. It makes a difference when we have luncheons for families who have lost loved ones in people's lives. You'd be surprised. It makes a difference when people go out and build ramps for people who need ramps in order to get in their home. It makes a difference to people. We may never see them here, but the light that we shed on Christ by doing those things shows people of our fellowship with one another. You can be that light wherever you go. You can. You just have to step out and do it. Not everybody has a personality like me, and I know that, and that's probably good. But wherever I go, I somehow influence something. I don't know. I I don't mean to all the time. But uh, in December, I had a heart catheterization. Some of you know that. Everything's fine. doctor gave me a clean bill of health 15 to 20 years. Just one of those things you had to do, okay? I don't know how he knows, but uh, 15, 20 years, the, the pipes are okay with the heart. Well, so when you go in there, you see all kinds of different people. Well, I talk to everybody. Y'all know that. Uh, now, I know when I come down the aisle time, sometimes on Sunday morning, you leave here and say, well, the preacher didn't even speak to me. Please give me a pass on that sometimes, please, because I'm thinking about what I have to do up here. But it's not that I don't want to speak to you. It's just I'm thinking about what I've got to do. And sometimes that gets in the way. And I work real hard to keep that from happening. But anyway, all that to say. Um, When I was there with a family this past week, and I hadn't been on that floor, second floor Memorial Regional, waiting there in quite some time with people. The woman who checks people in, all of a sudden I was sitting there talking to somebody, and she starts waving, just big waving. So I thought, I waved back. She was waving at me, and I didn't know she remembered me from anybody. 
how are you doing? Just went on and on. Then I go back into the part where it is, and some lady stops me in the hall. She said, well, I, re- I know you. I remember who you, I remember you. Where do I remember you from? I said, you did an echocardiogram on me. Oh, yeah, that's right. How did that all come out? And you know, on and on. Then I go on back in to see the person. They said, well, we've seen you before. And they go on and on and on. I thought, well, I don't know what kind of case I was in here. But part of it has to do with how you treat people and what you say to people and how appreciative you are of what they're doing for you. It makes a big difference. It makes a difference in people's lives for us to show the light of Christ wherever we go. And, and I still, to this day, don't know what I did to be such an influence there, but obviously something triggered with those people. Fellowship is essential, you see, to converting the world. The sharing of that fellowship we see in 1 John chapter 1, verse uh, 3. John wants those who have not seen and heard to have fellowship with him and enjoy all that he enjoys. Fellowship with one another is more than union. It is a sharing together of the blessings of God. This fellowship must be shared corporately as a church, such as time together in Sunday school classes or small groups or or women's studies or worship services or anything you do can be fellowship. Some of the most fun that people have is when they're preparing meals on Wednesday night. That's fellowship. It must also be shared individually by caring people. And then we see in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, that the life you live tells you whether or not you are saved. Verse 3 is paraphrased in the Living Bible in this manner. And how can we be sure that we belong to Him? By looking within ourselves, are we really trying to do what He wants us to do? Christians must strive for obedience. Now by this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. Obedience to Christ's commandments is evidence of the believer's assurance of his experience of Christ. The assurance that we know Him is to equal to the assurance that we are in Him. John insists that knowledge of Christ must be proven by obedience to Christ's commands. You know that you're saved if you're following His commandments. Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. You'll do what I ask you to do. On one occasion, Dr. R.A. Torrey asked the wayward son of a Baptist minister, Are you a friend of God? The young man said, I think I am. Dr. Torrey replied, Our Lord said, You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. The young man replied, In that case, I suppose I have not been a very good friend of God. You can be saved and sure of it because of the life you live. That's essential in our walk. It goes right back to the idea of the fruits of the Spirit. And then John takes it a step further. He talks to us about the purpose of Christ's coming in verse verse John 3, 5. If we go there, we'll see. And you know that He was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him there is no sin. And you know, moreover, that Christ became man for the purpose of removing sin and that he himself is quite free from sin. John appeals to the work of Christ as both evidence of the reality of sin and the antidote for sin. The very purpose of his appearing in life was to give to us victory over sin. This purpose testifies to the fact that sin is not fiction. 
At the same time, the life that Christ lived, the death that he died, and his victory over death, as John's readers know, destroyed the power of sin by taking away sins. The first recorded words of Jesus were, Didn't you know I had to be in my Father's house? And his last words on the cross were, It is finished. From the first to the last words, the purpose of his coming was that we might be saved and sure of it. You see, we celebrated Easter two weeks ago. And this was in my plan for when the Sunday I was back. I wasn't here with you last week. But to get us to the understanding that a relationship with Jesus Christ begins at the resurrection. Because that shed light on the power of God to redeem us. And we can know that we are saved. The resurrection is the start of our understanding. But we can know that we are saved. And then in 1 John chapter 3 verses 14 through 18, we see that we can know we are saved by the love we share. Our loving each other reveals a spiritual kinship. We read in verse 14, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. That's pretty clear. If a child of God means more to us than the rank and file of humanity, if the society of the church is more precious to us than the society of the world, if God's love is working consciously in us, then we can be sure we are saved. We can know that we have passed from death unto life. The love we have for one another. Now let me be very clear. That doesn't mean you have to like anybody. Because there are some people that are hard to like, right? And some people you just don't. Don't get along with. That doesn't mean, though, you can't love them. Christ loved them. I don't like some of the things my adult children do. Sometimes I don't like them. But I love them. But I love them. And maybe that's why some of the things they do I don't like. We love them because Christ first loved us. If a child of God means more to us than the world, then we begin to understand what he's talking about here. He gives us a prohibition though. Here John prohibits ill will and hatred in any form when we look. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Hatred not only leads to murder, it is murder. That is a very strong statement, but it is supported by the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And then in verse 16, we see a perception. By this we know love. Because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We are not left without an example to follow. In Christ dying on the cross, we perceive how we should be willing to love with each other. We do well to remember that Christ did not die for his friends, but for his enemies. While we were still sinners, the scripture teaches us, Christ died for us. And then we put it into practice in verses 17 and 18. Sooner or later in life, we will all stand face to face with the clear-cut opportunity to practice what we preach about love. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, now does the love of God abide in him. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. James says, be doers of the word And not hearers only. You see the consistent thought here? That doesn't mean we work for our salvation. 
You know, sometimes we can live very frustrated lives because we could never work enough for our salvation. And sometimes people have a checklist in their mind. I'll check this off. I don't do that. Well, I do this, so I better check over here for that. We do this checklist, and we live very frustrated lives because we fail to understand that in the midst of all of this, there is grace. And the grace that we have in Jesus Christ empowers us to do what we can do for Him. Do you see the difference? We don't work our way to heaven. That's not what John is saying at all. John is saying, if you have the light of Christ in your life, then these are the things that will be going on. This is what will be happening. This opportunity may come in the form of a person in need or one who has wronged us, but the command still stands. Let us not love in word, but in deed and in truth. In John's view, love is the determining factor as to whether an individual lives in the realm of life or in the realm of death. Love. It is a packed full word of the relationship we can have with Jesus Christ. A man was trying to read a serious book but his little boy kept interrupting him. He would lean against his knees and say, Daddy, I love you. The father would give him a pat and say rather absently, Yes, son, I love you too. And he would kind of give him a little push away so he could keep on reading. But this didn't satisfy the boy. And finally he ran to his father and said, I love you, Daddy. And he jumped up on his lap and threw his arms around him and gave him a big squeeze explaining, and I just got to do something about it. That's it. That's it as we grow in love. We are not content with small talk love or pat on the head love. We want to get involved and do something about it. It's important that we understand that. There are great needs that we can meet for people if we only would look around us. Just up the street in the, in the Church of Christ, they have the NCEF, NCEF uh, baby closet where they have baby stuff and there's always a desperate need for you know what diapers so I received a, a gift from a family who I had conducted a service for and I said uh, make it to the uh, make it out to the uh, um, benevolent fund because I have a place for it so they did and I had Martha call up and say we'd like to give you this money for you to go and buy the size diapers that you need most. And they were delighted to get it. Now, we don't know whose lives will be touched by that. We don't know who needs diapers, but we know that there's a need. Now, I'm not saying we all need to go out and write a check for diapers. I don't mean that. I'm saying, but that's just one need. That's right up the road. We have needs here, too. We have the adult closet. And every Thursday when the adult clothes closet is open, there are people who come here needing clothes. Always. There's a never that I can remember, and it probably has, but that I can remember that a week doesn't go by that somebody doesn't need something out of that closet. We can make a difference in people's lives if we're willing to do something. And we can know we are saved by our willingness to do something. We're not working for salvation. Salvation is a gift that's given to us freely. But once we have received that gift, if we're not willing to do these things that John is speaking of here, then we, our lives are in danger. 
The Greeks said, I know God, but it made very little difference in the way they live. They reasoned through an intellectual acceptance of deity or they moved through various rituals and rites in an effort to experience deity. But all of this had no effect on their lifestyle because they said they knew God, but they didn't behave as if they knew God. There are people today who will tell you that they know God. There are people today who will tell you they know of Jesus Christ, but their lives don't reflect it. And they are in mortal danger. In stark contrast, fellowship with Christ involves imitation of Christ. As we imitate Christ and become more than simply hearers of the word, there is a growing level of assurance of our salvation. When we reach that point of competent assurance, then the purpose of this letter has fulfilled itself in our lives. For the purpose of 1 John is stated clearly in chapter 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Don't base your eternal life on what you can and cannot do in order to earn salvation because you will live a frustrated life. Follow Christ. Be obedient to Him. Love one another. And be in fellowship with God's people. And the fruit will produce itself as you give yourself to Christ. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your servant John. For he shows us very clearly your love for us. And how that love is manifested in us through others. May we radiate the light of Christ as we fellowship with one another, as we give of ourselves to you so that others might see Christ in us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Our hymn of invitation is wherever he leads, I'll go. Indeed, that is the essence of what John is saying. If we are a follower of Christ, if we are obedient to him, we will go where he has us to go and do what he has us to do. You can know that you are saved through the power of the love of Christ. The invitation is open to anyone who would receive Christ. Whatever your desires, we stand and sing hymn number 285.
Thank you for being a part of this service today. It's a joy to be together in the house of the Lord, and I'm grateful that you've come on this cold April day. But um, spring will be here before we know it. It will spring one of these days. Uh, I saw a picture of someone who had uh, shot Punxsutawney Phil, you know, because, <laughs> because he predicted that it was going to be spring, didn't he? He didn't say six more weeks of winter this time. Um, so anyway, we won't be that violent in, in that. But uh, I'm grateful that you're here today. Let's bow for a closing prayer. Gracious Lord, as we leave this place today, we do so recognizing the power of your love to redeem us and your grace to sustain us. May we take the light of Jesus Christ into the world in which we work and serve so that others might see the radiant light of Christ in us. Thank you that we can be saved and sure of it through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.